Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Praise the Lord. Let's go to Matthew chapter 2. And uh, we're going to continue with this that we uh, looked at Wednesday night. Savior, Redeemer, and King. And uh, we learned Wednesday night, we'll briefly recap, we learned Wednesday night, of course, that the Word of God says concerning Jesus Uh, When the annunciation was made by the angel in the book of Luke, uh, he said it to Mary and he said it to Joseph. He said, you shall call his name Jesus. And the name Jesus is the Greek derivative of the name Joshua in Hebrew, and it means Savior. It means Savior. And so uh, you shall call his name Savior because he will save his people from their sins. All right, he'll rescue his people from their sins. And so the Bible says over and over again, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, well, the name of the Lord is Jesus, shall be saved. You call upon the name of the Savior and you become saved. But then uh, we made the statement that not only were we saved from sin, we had to be redeemed from sin. I had to be saved, but then I had to be redeemed. And the Bible says that He is our Redeemer. Amen. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law because He was made a curse for us. And so we were saved, but that wasn't enough. Then we had to be redeemed. So He's our Savior, our Redeemer, and our King. And our King. Matthew chapter 2, and we'll start here in verse 1. Jesus was born a king. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born the king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. This is interesting because notice they didn't ask if a king had been born. They came and said, we're looking for the one that is the king of the Jews. Where is the king of the Jews? Because we've seen his star. We've seen evidence, according to what we know, that a king has been born. Amen. They asked where he had been born. Not if there was a king. All right. Jesus was born a king. They asked where he had been born, and then notice what they said. They said, for we have seen his star in the east. They had seen his star. They had seen a star in the constellations that they knew corresponded with the birth of a king, and not just any king, the king of the Jews. The king. Amen. 
Now, let's go to Numbers 24. They were probably familiar with the prophecy concerning the star that would rise out of Jacob. And, of course, Numbers 24, this is where uh, Balaam was blessing Israel, much to the chagrin of Balak. But Numbers 24 and verse 17, he says concerning the star, concerning the king, I will see him, but not now. I will behold him, but not near. There shall come a star out of Jacob. Huh. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Seth. Then in Isaiah 60, Isaiah makes reference to this. Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 3. And the Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. These men that came to Jesus would have been influential. They would have been very rich. Understand that these men were willing to travel hundreds or possibly over a thousand miles to worship the newborn king. This wasn't just a journey that took a day or so. They were traveling for days or weeks because they knew we have seen his star and this king has been born and we're going to go worship him. Oh, hallelujah. Look back in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. The birth of Jesus, the story of the birth of Jesus. Very often, uh, of course, around this time of the year, it's, it's, it's widely proclaimed. But very often, just as, as that, as a story, as something that we do in the holiday season, it is, it is chock full of the foundational doctrine of the church. It is the cornerstone of the foundational doctrine of the church. The rock of revealed knowledge. It, 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 it was revealed in, in the, the, the statements of church fathers gone in years past. One of the foundation stones of the church is this, that I believe in God the Father, Jesus His Son, and the Holy Spirit. I believe that He was conceived by the Virgin Mary of the Holy Ghost. That's the cornerstone of what we believe. Jesus was born untouched by human frailty. There, there was no tainted blood in his body. It came from God through, through, through the avenue of Mary. The Christmas story, if that's what we want to call it, is the foundation of the church. And in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 9, notice it says, they, remember, they had spoken to Herod, and Herod had consulted with uh, uh, the chief priest and the religious leaders of his day, and he had told them they, that the king would be born in Bethlehem. Verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed. 
And the star that they saw in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now the first thing to see is notice they didn't come to the stable. They came to a house. Because they weren't visiting a baby, they were visiting a two-year-old child. A lady in Bible school one time stand up and argue with me about this. You know, the Bible says they came to the house. I said they didn't come to the stable, they came to the house. And she said, that's not right. And I looked at my Bible and looked at her and I thought, that's what the Bible says. And she said, yeah, but the song says. You were there. And she said, yeah, but the song says. Right? Yeah. She said, what do I do about my nativity scene? There's three wise men. What, what do I do at the stable? What, get rid of them. They weren't there. <laughs> Put some shepherds around or whatever. Now, people say, what's that got to do with the, the doctrine? Because if you will put three wise men at the stable, what else will you add to the word? Right? And, and, and we always make one of them oriental, one of them white, and one of them black. <laughs> uh, equal opportunity Christmas, I guess. I don't know. But... But, but now, now, whether they were or not is, is irrelevant. I don't care if they were all Asian or white or black. I don't care. But here, here's the thing. They were coming in search of a king. Amen. They did not come at the stable. They came to him in his house. And notice something. It says that when they, they came in, they saw him and they fell down and worshipped him. Now, this is important. Because the Woos Bible says, having fallen down, they prostrated themselves in homage before him. Another translation says, they fell at his feet. Another one says, they fell on their knees and worshipped him. This was no casual issue. They came into that house, and they were overwhelmed. Because they encountered a presence they didn't expect. They, they came looking for a natural king, and they entered the presence of the king of kings. And when they entered into his presence, they fell. This, this is not something that was necessarily a choice. This is something that overwhelmed them. They walked into that presence, the presence of the king of kings. And notice what it says. It says that they opened, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So they didn't just bring three little boxes to Jesus. You know, his pastor always said, little cigar boxes. 
One man I read after said this. He said, this delegation was offering tribute money to a king. And therefore would more than likely have brought a whole train of pack animals loaded with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Peter J. Daniels, an Australian multimillionaire, commissioned a team of historians to research the Magi and the gifts that they brought to Jesus when he was born. Their conclusion was this, that over 300 kings came bearing gifts for Jesus. Mm. with a calculated wealth of over $4 million. That, now, that's $4 million, our money, then. Now, now, you can readily see why Jesus was not poor. He said that Persian documents showed that the gift was ex- ex- escorted by an army. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 archers. And that the reference in Matthew chapter 2 to Herod and the people being troubled was because they thought it was an invading army. (laughs) Hallelujah. Because they were coming to pay tribute to a king. The king of kings. So he was born... A king. Now remember something. We see that and we know Jesus is the king of kings according to the word. But the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 1. It says that Jesus was the son of Abraham and the son of David. He was a natural heir to the throne of David. That's why the Bible says, the Bible, the Bible tells us he will sit on the throne of his father, David. He will literally do that. Jesus had a right to that throne. Because he, he was of the house and the lineage of David. Do you understand this? He was born a king. Not just a king in a spiritual sense, a literal king. He was born with a right to kingship. He died a king in John chapter 19. John chapter 19. And we'll we'll go through all four gospels here. John chapter 19, verse 13. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and set him down in judgment seat in a place that's called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said unto the Jews, notice, behold your king. But they cried out, away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said, what shall, why shall I crucify your king? The chief priest said, notice, we have no king but Caesar. Wow. Verse 17. And he bearing his cross went to a place called the place of the skull which in the Hebrew is called Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The King of the Jews. Oh, hallelujah. Now let's look at Luke 23. 
Luke 23 and verse 38. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Now, I think that's powerful because he touches all, he touches all three groups of people here that were there in, in Jerusalem for the Passover. Uh, he had to touch the Hellenist Greeks, the Hellenist Jews, all right, because uh, the, the language of Rome was Latin. The language of the earth, the world, basically was Greek. Alexander had conquered the world and made Greek the known language. But he put it in Greek so the, the Hellenistic Jews would understand it. He wrote it in Latin so the Romans would understand it. And he wrote it in Hebrew so the Jews would understand it. And notice what was written in all three languages. King of the Jews. Amen. Then Mark 15. Now people will say, why is that important? Because the truth was being told. The truth was being proclaimed. Whether they believed it or not, they couldn't deny what was written over him. This is the king of the Jews. Amen. Mark 15 and verse 26. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. King of the Jews. Matthew 27. And uh, verse 37. <clears throat> it says, and, uh, and they set up over his head his accusation written. This is Jesus the king of the Jews. Now they called Jesus that to mock him. But he died as what he actually was. The king of the Jews. They crucified their king. They didn't know it. But they did. In Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. And let's look here at verse 2. We read this earlier, but notice what it says. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Where is he that is born king of the Jews? So he's born a king, and he died a king. Matthew 21. Hallelujah. Matthew 21 and verse 1. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage under the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you'll find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if any man say all unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he'll send them. And this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, your king, your king comes unto you, meek, and riding up, sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. 
this was done so that it might be fulfilled. And notice what he calls this individual to Zion, your king. Hallelujah. Now here's the thing. This is what tells us something. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but this is important. The Jewish leaders, the religious leaders of the day, knew this was in the Word. And yet when they saw it coming to pass, they wouldn't have anything to do with it. What you know is in the Word, you have a responsibility for taking as truth and acting on. Because if it's in the Word, it's what I have to live by. Do you understand that? Whether I understand it or not, whether it makes sense to me or not, it's in the Word, so that's what I've got to go by. Their response should have been, I don't understand how a carpenter's son from Nazareth can be the king of the Jews that we've been waiting on, but yet, here he is. And I've got to go by what the Word says, because this cannot just be coincidence. Amen. Do you see that? Glory to God. Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9. We got a lot of scripture this morning. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. This is so powerful. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Now remember Matthew? It says that 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 word was written to the daughters of Zion. He says, rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Why? Behold, your king cometh unto you. He is just and having salvation. Well, why does he have salvation? Because his name is Savior. Your Savior is coming to you. Hallelujah. Lowly and riding upon an ass. And upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Notice that. This is your king. Your king comes to you. In Luke 19. Hallelujah. Verse 37. Luke 19 and verse 37. It says, Jesus, when he was going into Jerusalem, when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Notice, they're rejo- this is our King. And some of the Pharisees, From the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you, if these will hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Now what would they cry out? This is our king. The stones would say the same thing they're saying. Amen. Why? Because creation recognizes It's king. Everything in the earth, the earth right now is groaning. 
in travail under the weight of the curse because the earth, even the earth knows it was not created for the purposes that it's been pushed into. And it says that it is waiting until the redemption of the purchased possession. You and I, the earth is waiting until all of God's children get our glorified bodies and the king returns to the earth because when the king returns to the earth, everything goes back the way that it should have been. When, when you take the king out of his place, everything gets thrown out of kilter. The reason that you see things the way they are in the world is because the world has displaced their king for another ruler. But when that ruler is brought back and he's put on the throne of David, everything changes. When you have the king of glory on the throne of your heart, everything changes. When you got born again, you shook off the bondage of your previous ruler and you took on the yoke of your current ruler the king Jesus Christ and everything changed in your life everything's better because you have the king oh glory to God amen we used to sing that song when I was a boy growing up in church his love is a flag flown high from the castle of my heart the castle of my heart the castle of my heart. His love's a flag flown high from the castle of my heart. And it says that the king is in residence there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Every time you love somebody that's unlovable, it's evidence that the king is on the throne of your heart. Every Amen. Every time God comes through for you, it is evidence that the king is on your heart. Every time something goes your way and favor shows up, it's evident that the king is there. The king is there. That's why we worship him. That's why we praise him for the good things that's happened in our lives. Because we recognize he's my king. He's my Lord. He's my savior. He's my redeemer. Hallelujah. I have a king and his name is Jesus. Glory to God. We have no king but him. Oh, hallelujah. Woo, glory. And, and oh, Lord, 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 Lord. And that's why it's so important that we understand we're in the kingdom. We're in the kingdom with a king. We're not in the kingdom of this world. We are in the kingdom of God and of His Christ, the anointed one, the Savior. We have been made priests and kings. We are in the lineage of Jesus Christ Himself. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. They didn't recognize Him as King, but we recognize Him as King. They didn't see Him for who He is, but we see Him for who He is. Our eyes have beheld Him. Our hearts have become endeared to Him. Our spirits have become entwined with Him. Our lives are forever caught up in the King Christ Jesus. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. And it was that king that broke every chain. It was that king that walked into your darkest night and broke the chain and shattered the bondage. It was that king that took up residence in your life and made a difference in your spirit and put your marriage back together and brought your family to God and healed your body because he is the king of kings. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Let's take a moment and just worship our King. Hallelujah. Oh, we just worship you. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. 
Oh, hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. That's why when you're brought into the kingdom, you're brought under the dominion of the king. Kingdom, the dominion of the king. The domination of the king. Hallelujah. I've been brought into that dominion, into the kingdom of the king. To be a kingdom, there has to be a king. And my king is Jesus. And your king is Jesus. And we've recognized that. Oh, hallelujah. That means he has the rule in my life. Say that out loud. He has the rule in my life. You you know, your king has a plan for your life. You don't want to just get close enough to your king for him to meet your needs. You want to get close enough to your king for him to tell you what he wants to do with your life. Because you are now in his kingdom. And in his kingdom, he can call the shots and you follow what he says and you'll get the results the king wants. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. You know, if, you, if, if this was the throne of your king, this is the way a lot of people approach God. They just, they just want to kind of get close enough to grab what they need. But, but you, 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 you want to get, you're seated at the right hand of the Father with Christ. You don't want to get close enough just to get what you need. You want to take your seat in the kingdom and, and you want everything God wants for you. You want God's plan. You want God's purpose. And the only way you'll know that is if you're listening to what the king says and the Bible gave you the person of the Holy Spirit in your heart as a direct communication link to what the king is saying on the throne and he will lead you, guide you, direct you, show you all things, tell you things to come and lead you in all truth. Because he's the king. He's the king. Oh, glory. He's the king. Hallelujah. Do you see that? And you recognize that. When you needed to be saved, you recognize you needed a king. You needed a savior. And you needed a redeemer. But you needed a king. You needed someone to forgive you and someone to keep you, but you needed someone to be your king. Nobody can just live their life their own way. You are not allowed to live a life that God gave you without the kingship of the one that gave it to you. Amen. It is disrespectful to try to live your life your way when there's a king on your heart that wants to tell you how to do it. Woo! What is precious to the king must be precious to me because he's my king. Do you see that? And their king came to them. And they said, hush them up. And he said, look, if they don't say it, the rocks will cry out. I'm telling you where I'm concerned, there is one less stone today that's going to have to cry out because I'm going to praise the king because of what he's done in my life. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. And what's precious to the king is precious to me. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, my Lord. 
Now notice this. Verse 41. It says, And when he was come near, he beheld the city, and he wept over it. And, 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 and he, it says what he said. We won't take the time to get into all of that. But he wept. And here's the thing. This, this was a, a, a man named Al, 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 Albert Edersheim wrote a volume one time called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. Very, very old book. But, but I love the, the insight that you get out of it. And he makes the statement here. When it, when it uses this word, when he was come, he wept. When, Je, when the Bible says at Lazarus' tomb that Jesus wept, Jesus was not weeping over Lazarus. He was weeping because of the unbelief. He was there to raise Lazarus from the dead. That'd be just, let me just say it this way, that, that'd be kind of ridiculous to cry over somebody you're about to raise from the dead. Right? Lazarus, come forth. Why would you do that? <laughs> I know what it was. Lazarus, come forth. Psych. Yet, right? That's not, that's, that's not what he was doing. And, and, and it was this, this weeping of a, of a soft, oh, groaning. Why can't they see this weeping? Here, it is a loud, deep weeping. Jesus is sobbing on this animal. And, and, and notice, he says, if you had known the things that belong to your peace... Now, remember what he said to the daughters of Zion and Zechariah? He said, he is coming to you, and he is just, and he's bringing peace. If you knew what belonged, that's why he's the king of kings and the prince of peace. What is belonged to your peace, but they are hid from your eyes. They didn't recognize their visitation from their king. There are people today that are living their life however they want to live it. And they're not recognizing there's a king that wants to help them. There are people that are not recognizing the kingship of Jesus. You cannot just walk away from your king having recognized his kingship. Hallelujah. And Jesus is weeping because you don't see it. You're missing your visitation from God. When God starts moving in your life, it's not because God felt sorry for you. It's not because God felt bad for you. It's because you made Jesus the king of your life. And when you make him the king of your life, things begin to move. Don't ever take that for granted. When you bowed your knee to him as your Lord, and you confessed your life to him, and you made him the Lord and Savior of your life, a throne was set up on your heart, and the king took residence there. You are no longer your own. You are bought with a price, bought by the blood of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Your life is not your own because you are now a subject of the kingdom of God and you have a king. Oh, hallelujah. Well, you know, Pastor, that kind of sounds legalistic. It sounds legalistic if you want to do things your own way and live however you want to live and not listen to God. It sounds legalistic if you want to just do what you want to do and you don't want to do what God wants to do. 
Whoo, got quiet in here. Things like that sound legalistic when you're determined to just do your own thing. I've had people say that before. Well, you know, Pastor Seal, he's a nice guy, but oh, he's kind of hard about some things. Kind of gets legalistic. What they mean is they can't just do whatever they want to do. And I'll say that. You can't just do whatever you want to do. Amen. Okay, here's my example. Ladies, y'all that are married, you know who you are. So your husband comes home tomorrow, and he says, there's going to be a change here. Well, what's the change? Well, I've taken up with the woman down the street, and I'm just going to cohabitate between y'all. Now, how's that going to work? Here's what we do. We do about three funerals the very next day. I'd have wives calling me saying, I don't know what happened. I came in and found him that way. It's just... No, we don't, we, that will never work. Why? Because you're married, you have a ring, you have a contract, a covenant between the two of you, right? And that covenant says what? When I married you, I forsook everybody else, and I'm going to only cleave to you. That is the covenant of marriage. You have a covenant with your King Jesus. You are king, and I am your child. I am subservient to what you want me to do and the way you want me to do it. And you have given me the kingly decree book. I can see what you want for my life, and I'm going to do things your way when you ask me to do it because you're my king. You're my king. You're my king. Hallelujah. 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 Remember when you sing that song in church, when King Jesus comes to live with us again. Now, I know he lives in us. He'll show his righteous love to every man. Wars and strife will all be past. There will be peace on earth at last when King Jesus comes to live with us again. Well, isn't that interesting that that will happen physically in the earth, but it's already happened to you because King Jesus lives with you. He lives on your heart right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. And can I say one more thing about that? And we do the generations a disservice by leading them to believe that God is some kind of democratic ruler. You know where it comes to the things of God? Let me say this. If you want to do right, you really don't have a choice. You can do whatever you want to do. But what you want to do is sin. I can't just do whatever I want to do. This, right? This is not the spiritual 1960s. If it feels good, do it. Can't just do whatever I want to do. I don't, listen, I've had people in the church say, well, if I can't do it this way, I'm going to leave. Well, go ahead. I don't even get to do what I want to do i got to do what he wants me to do. See, that's not an option. If I have a king asking me, or, or I should say telling me what to do. And we do a disservice when we lead people to believe that, you know, I know the word says that, but God's okay if you don't do it. No, he's not. No, he's not. Hallelujah. I won't even get into that completely. 
I'll have people come, I've had people come up to me and ask and say, well, do you think uh, drinking one beer is a sin? People will say, well, what's your response? I always say, why do you want to know? And if they just look at me, I say, here's why you want to know, because you want to drink a beer. And you want me to tell you that one beer is not a sin. But if I tell you one beer is not a sin, I got to tell you six is not a sin. Why don't we use that logic on other things? Pastor, is it a sin to do one line of cocaine? Is, is it a sin to smoke one rock crack? Pastor, is it a sin to commit adultery if I was only there five minutes? Is it a sin to watch pornography if I don't feel like my wife's meeting my needs? That's a joke. That's a joke. That's what's wrong with many believers. Not what's wrong with the church. There's nothing wrong with the church. We're an unstoppable force. That's what's wrong with a lot of believers and they're not functioning to the level they could in the church that cannot be stopped. It's because they are living in a kingdom thinking it's a democracy and it's not. It's the way God laid it out or it's no way at all. And you can do whatever you want but you'll pay the price. Because when you do what you want, you tie the hands of the king. Mm. Glory to God. Maybe I should move on from that. That's important. I, I, I've, I've had, oh, Lord, help me. When you look at the local church, this local church, think about how important this is to God. It is so important. That people have uprooted their lives and moved from other states to come be a part of this. There are people right now uprooting their lives in other states to come here and be a part of this church. Because it's so important to Jesus. And you cannot take what's important to Jesus and just act like it's of no consequence and expect the king to be okay with it. I'm not just talking about this church, I'm talking about any church. There are people all over this city that have made sacrifices to be in church today. I've got people in this church and in the Kansas location and other places drive an hour to come to church. 45 minutes, 60 minutes to get to church. One way, two hours both ways to come and be in church. Why? Because they have a king. They have a king on their heart. And he said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And you do what you can do to be there. Am I, am I helping you? It's not about church attendance. It's about what the king said. It's about what the king said. Now, I understand if you can't be here, you got to work or something. I, I understand that. You know my heart. But what I'm trying to explain to you, why do I love my wife as Christ loves the church? Because I've got a king who said I need to love my wife as Christ loves the church. Why does my wife walk in honor? Why do my children obey me? Because the Bible says, the Bible outlines the way the families run and the way the church is run. The husbands love, the wives honor, the kids obey. That, that is the ingredient for success in any home and any church. You've got to have honor between all of us. We've got to obey, we've got to, we, we've got to submit ourselves to God, and we've got to honor what He said. He's our King. When God tells you something, 
I want you from this day forward to not consider it optional. Jesus wept because they didn't recognize their visitation from God. Instead, they crucified their king. Oh, hallelujah. Now, we're not going to leave him there. Because he rose a king. Hallelujah. If I could say one more thing just real quick on that. You know, a lot of what people call legalism is just good right living. Is that right? You know, when I was a boy growing up in church, if you got saved, it's just expected that you quit smoking. Anybody else raised that way? I hope so. You quit dipping snuff. No more pinch between your cheek and gum. Hallelujah. You weren't a sipping saint. Because I got saved, everything has changed. Hallelujah. I've had people in the past say, you mean you couldn't go to the movies when you was a boy? No, but I don't think it's such a bad thing. I'm not against you going to the movies. You do what your conscience will let you do. But I can't say he's my king if I'm going to go sit in the movie theater and listen to him take his name in vain. I, say, I can't say God is the life giver and go sit, them, sit there and listen to them call him the dammer. I can't go where my king is used as a punchline to a dirty joke. If he's my king. Now, if he's in a side attraction, if I can take him or leave him, if it's not that important, then I can. And people call that legalism. I've heard preachers say, well, if you go to the movies, you just got to be prepared for some language that you're not going to agree with. What? what? What about the scripture that says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them? See, it's, it's not legalism. I'm not saying you can't go to a movie. I took Lily to a kid's movie not too long ago. But here, here's the point that I'm trying to make. If I go and I willingly subject myself, See, if you willingly watch something as a man that you know you shouldn't watch, don't come to me and complain about bad thoughts in your mind. You willfully went and did it. And people say, yeah, and you drugged your king through it. No, you didn't. Your king stayed outside. If he's your king, You'll burn that computer before you'll look at anything that will compromise your conviction about who you are as a man of God. People say that's hard. I know it's tight, but it's right. It'll, it'll, keep, you, it'll keep you right. Hallelujah, because I have a king. Listen, Lord, I want to get past this. You can't have two kings. Those elements that we've been talking about, they want to run the show. And you can't give way to them. And then on Sunday morning, Jesus is your king. 
Who's been running your life all week? That's who your king is. Who's been making the decisions? That's who your king is. Amen. Yeah, but Pastor, you just have to understand. Here's what I got to understand. That if I have a king on my heart, and I do, the King Jesus, he's in charge. My job is submit to him. Amen. He rose a king. Matthew 28. Let me hurry. I think I'm past that. Oh, if you want the Holy Spirit to flow through you in a deeper level, you got to solidify the kingship of Christ on your heart. Amen. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given. Everybody say, All power. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now think about this. All power can only be given to an absolute ruler. A king. He is the king of the earth. The Bible says he's the king of the ages. Everybody doesn't recognize him as king, but we do. He is the king of... The Bible says he's the savior of all men. Are all men saved? Nope. Will all men be saved? Nope. He's the king of the earth. He's the king of the ages. He's everybody's king, whether they accept him or not. Because he paid the price to be their king. Everybody's not going to recognize him as king. And those that won't recognize him as king. Listen, I know, again, I know this sounds old-fashioned. But everybody on this earth will either bow to him as king now. Or they will bow to him as king then. And if they wait to bow then, it's too late. It's too late. Now is the acceptable day of salvation. Now is the time that you make Jesus the Lord of your life. Right now. Amen. Daniel 7 and 14. This, this so blessed me the other morning when I was reading this in, in my study at home. I almost shouted, but I knew if I did, I'd wake everybody up. Daniel 7 and 14. Well, let's start in verse 13 because this is so powerful. I saw in the night visions. And behold, one like the Son of Man, glory to God, came with the clouds of heaven, came to the Ancient of Days, the Son going to the Father. And they brought him before him, and there was given unto him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. Oh, hallelujah. Notice that. He rose as a king with a kingdom that will never pass away. Luke chapter 7 and verse 14 shows us this. Oh, hallelujah. Aren't you glad the Lord saved you? Aren't you glad you're born again? Do you ever, do you ever wake up and think that in the night? Oh, I'm glad I'm saved. Oh, I'm glad I'm saved. When, when you drive down the street and you see people acting like you used to act, and you think, thank God I'm saved. Amen. Hallelujah. Makes you want to go tell somebody. 
Amen. Woo! Glory to God. I said Luke 7. I meant Luke 1. 7, 1, they look a lot alike. Verse 33. This is, is, is again when the angel was speaking to Mary. And notice verse 33. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Verse 32, the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Now, you know, David did not have a spiritual throne. He had a natural throne. When Jesus returns in the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, he will take up residence in the city of Jerusalem on the throne of David. And he will rule the nations with a rod of iron for 1,000 years from Jerusalem, from the throne of David. But the Bible says there will be a time then that Jesus will rise up off that throne of David and he will return all authority back to the Father. Because the earth will have been cleansed. The earth will be back perfected. Satan will not be in the bottomless pit. He'll be in the lake of fire. And I'm not going to shed one tear. Amen. Uh-huh. Amen. But then, guess what? Then David comes and sets on that throne forever. Because that's what he was promised. But right now, the seed of David is on the throne of David and on the throne of my heart. Hallelujah. All power, all authority, all dominion has been given to him. And as our king, listen, as our king, he gave it to us. I have all power, all authority, because the king gave it to me. And what the king gives, nobody can take away. Oh, glory. So he rose as a king with a kingdom that will never pass away. 1 Timothy 6. He will return as a king. Oh, this is good stuff. Amen. Man, sometimes I'll be cooking, and I'll just taste test that, and, and I'll tell my wife, oh, my goodness, this is good if I do say so myself. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I told somebody, I said, that was so good, your tongue will wrap around your eye teeth, and you'll go blind for a minute. And they said, well, I wouldn't want to eat it then. And they were, okay. Mary. Barlow. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Not to be confused with Mary on the mountain. Amen. Hallelujah. Or as Lily says, little Mary and Miss Mary. Amen. 1 Timothy 6, 14. Y'all having fun today? That you keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Revelation 19. Revelation 19. And notice verse 11. And I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse. Now, there are two white horses mentioned in Revelation. 
One is mentioned in Revelation chapter 6. John saw a rider on a white horse, and he had to be given a crown. And he had a bow with no arrows. It's the Antichrist. Looks like him, not like him. He had to be given a crown. Jesus has many crowns. He had to be given a weapon. And, and notice, if you ever think the devil's all that, he could supply the Antichrist with a bow but no arrows. <laughs> Hallelujah. But this is the king. And he that sat upon him, notice this, was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Oh, Lord. And his name is called the Word of God. His vesture dipped in blood. That's the standard. That's how we know. That's how we recognize. That, that's the standard we rally around is the blood of Jesus. Amen. When a king would go into war, he carried his standard on him, his coat of arms on his chest. They knew he was the king. When Jesus returns, his vesture is going to be dipped in his own blood. That's the standard. Notice this. And the armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses clothed in fine linen. That's us. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Isn't that great? Hallelujah. The one who is the living word is the king of kings. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's no longer in the manger. He's no longer on the cross. No longer in the tomb. Oh, hallelujah. Isn't that good news? I say, isn't that good news? The stone's been rolled away. The tomb is empty. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And His return for His church could be at any moment. He's just waiting for the Father to tell Him it's time. Hallelujah. And our King, your King, my King, will come back and receive us to Himself. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Just lift your hands for a moment. Say, thank you for being my king. Thank you for being my king. Glory be to God. Glory be to God.